Welcome to Public Health Out Loud. Public Health for the public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. And Dr. Chan, great to be hanging out with you as always. Today, I'm, I guess I'm more excited than usual, which is really an overstatement because I'm actually quite excitable. Long COVID is our topic today. I, I'm very interested in long COVID. You know, I love learning about new things. Long COVID is new. The more I learn about it, the more I want to learn about it. I'm just curious, give me a measure of how excited Dr. Chan is on this fine morning. So I think that long COVID is a very important topic. In fact, it's one of the things that we're learning most about in the pandemic still, surprisingly, after two and a half years. And I'm very excited by our guest today as well. So we have Dr. Francesca Bodwin with us. We're going to talk about long COVID. So Dr. Bodwin, welcome to Public Health Out Loud. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here this morning. Good to see you both. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Sure. Again, my name is Francesca Bodwin. I am trained as an emergency physician, so I have a background as an ER doc, and currently I am the chair of epidemiology at the Brown University School of Public Health, where I also direct the Long COVID Initiative. And welcome, Dr. Bodwin. So thrilled that you're here. Uh, we've known each other for a while. Thank you again for joining us and talking about this important topic. So let's take it from the beginning. Long COVID. It's been in the news. We've heard a lot about it. What is long COVID exactly? That is the the question of the day what is long covid exactly we're still trying to sort that out and so you'll i think today we're going to have a lot more questions than answers but hopefully we'll leave our audience with a better understanding of what long covid is and what we're doing about it when we talk about long covid we're really talking about a symptoms that follow a covid diagnosis that last longer than they're expected and there are different precise definitions of long COVID, depending on what organization you are referring to, like the CDC or the World Health Organization. But there's still a lot of uncertainty on just exactly how to define long COVID. You know, one of the things you remind me, Dr. Bodwin, is long COVID is just quite frankly unfair. I, I, I got to cry foul at long COVID because like, I'll say this, like when I get sick, I don't know if I'm the only person who thinks this way, but sometimes when I'm sick, I'm like, oh, gosh, am I ever going to get better? And, and, and this is one of the problems with long COVID is, you know, quite frankly, it lingers and it lingers and lingers. One of the questions that's come up, though, is like, does vaccinating after someone who has had long COVID help? No, and it does treatment with Paxlovid after someone has long COVID help. So just say this example, like someone has long COVID, if they get the vaccine at that point, does that help? Or if they have long COVID, do they, if they get the oral antiviral Paxlovid, does that help? What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Bodwin? Yeah, both really good questions. So let's dive a little bit more into exactly what we're talking about, right? So people get COVID. At this point, I think people are expecting maybe a flu-like illness, and they're going to get better within a period of maybe five days a week. And when we're talking about long COVID, we're talking about symptoms that are persisting weeks after the initial diagnosis, meaning four weeks more. If we're talking about the World Health Organization definition, we're talking about three months or more of symptoms, really. And these are things like brain fog we hear commonly, fatigue, shortness of breath, and those are all quite burdensome when in potential have the potential to get in the way of the things that we want to do every day, go to work, take care of our kids, take care of our pets, do the things that we enjoy doing. And so there is a ton of attention on what are the things that we can do to A, prevent long COVID from happening in the first place, and B, how do you treat it if somebody thinks that they already have had long COVID? And then I guess I would throw a C in there of how do you even know if you have long COVID to begin with? And Looping back to your question about vaccination and new treatments like Paxlovid, the biggest thing you can do to prevent getting long COVID is to prevent getting COVID. Now, I think at this point, that horse is a little bit out of the barn because 
there is so much COVID going on right now, but we know that vaccination prevents initial COVID infection and also prevents severity of initial COVID infection. So vaccination, therefore, is preventative in developing long COVID. And then in terms of treatments, we're still sorting that out. But it, there is some new data coming out that suggests that in people who have already developed long COVID, that getting an additional vaccination during the long COVID symptoms and possibly, and I say possibly with like a big asterisk, get it, taking Paxlovid um, while somebody has long COVID may be beneficial. And I think in the months to follow, we're going to know if that actually bears out in some in bigger studies. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bodun, for that. Uh, you know, I have a few patients myself in my clinical practice that have long COVID. You know, it's very striking when you have when you hear the stories, and I have heard some of the stories. And for some folks, it has literally changed their life for the worse. And I have this one patient, younger person, very high functioning, professional, had mild asthma before, uh, and after getting long COVID, uh, they now have really severe asthma and really debilitating. Uh, unable to uh, really do any sort of exercise or walk around for long periods of time. So I have seen, uh, certainly myself personally, in the lives of my patients, some of the um, the outcomes here of long COVID. As we think about this, though, from a broader scope, from either the state of Rhode Island or perhaps the country, or even the world, and I, I know that we're still learning about this and still the data is still coming in, if you will, but do you have a sense of, of how common this is, how widespread this is? Is this a big deal or is this just affecting one or two people here and there? Great points that you bring up. And you know your patient's story is um, not an uncommon one. And there's a saying going around that if you've seen one person with long COVID, you've seen one person with long COVID because the symptoms vary so much, both in the intensity of the symptoms, the type of symptoms, the duration of symptoms. And then when you think about, as you say, the bigger picture of like how many people are actually actually being affected by this, long COVID, if we use the broadest definitions, is probably quite common. People that just have these like symptoms that don't quite get better. I was talking to somebody the other day who was complaining that they still had ringing in their ears and difficulty hearing after COVID diagnosis. And this was weeks and weeks later, but this person's going to work, they're exercising, they're doing all the things that they wanna do. In contrast to somebody like your patient that now has really debilitating symptoms, maybe can't get out of bed, having neurologic symptoms, intense brain fog, um, difficulty thinking, that has completely disrupted their way of life. And so if we lump all of those things together and we think about the millions and millions of people that have had COVID at this point in time, we're, we're talking about you know, probably on the order of millions of people being affected by some degree of long COVID. The estimates range widely depending on which study you're looking at. Some studies talk about you know, as little as 5% of people being infected or affected with long COVID to 30 or 40%. And if we think about all the people in, in the U.S. and Rhode Island who have had COVID at this point in time, even if you're at that way lower end, you're still talking about a lot of people. And um, and then if we narrow down on the people who are really being impacted, I, I think you know this is not an insignificant problem, and it would be naive to think so. We're talking to Dr. Francesca Bodwin about long COVID, and and you know Dr. Bodwin, one of the things I think about in the entire pandemic is just the word disparities. The word disparity being unequal, uh, unfair, you know. So in in our culture, health disparities are a problem before the pandemic. Health disparities are a problem throughout the pandemic. They're still the problem as we're in the endemic state. And you know, Dr. Bodwin, we saw a lot of disparities and who was getting COVID, 
you know, where it was spreading, who was able to isolate safely. Are we also seeing disparities now in who's developing long COVID, I guess is what I'm curious about. Like, you know, do we have information on like who is most impacted by long COVID? In some ways, two separate questions, who is being most impacted and are there disparities? In terms of who is being most impacted, we know that there are certain risk factors for developing long COVID, older age, diabetes, more severe illness in the outset if you were hospitalized or had an ICU stay. But even after you look at all of those things, there are still disparities, differences based on different demographic characteristics. And we know that patients who are in um, certain urban areas, black and brown patients are more likely to be impacted by initial COVID infection, but also long COVID. And we are seeing disparities in the way that people get diagnosed. And um, and then there's the whole thing about access to treatment and what do you do? And this is an important area where we need to pay attention, especially as we start to view long COVID as a chronic disease. And we know that there are rampant health disparities in chronic disease, and this really shouldn't be treated any differently. I talked about earlier about the example with asthma and just uh, really someone struggling to breathe with long COVID. Dr. Bowden, what are some other examples that you've seen in your practicing position, either as a physician or stories that you've heard or as you've looked into this? What are some other uh, uh, situations uh, where you've seen long COVID affect someone's day-to-day life? What are some examples of that? Really extreme fatigue. So we hear from people that they just can't get out of bed. They can't, they're exhausted. They can't get out of bed. They, in some cases, it's physically unable to get out of bed. So weakness, um, neurologic symptoms. And some patients have a more heavy cognitive component, meaning the way that somebody thinks. And again, this term brain fog that I think has been going around since the early days of the pandemic. So we have to think about, um, you know, that differential impact. And so this is another place where health disparities come out. If you're somebody that has a really physical job that you have to show up at a warehouse and lift boxes and things like that, you may be more impacted than somebody that has the ability to work flexibly from home and remotely from a computer. And so we know that you know professional jobs, if somebody's working as a data analyst, the fatigue piece might not affect them. However, the cognitive aspect might. And so as we learn how long COVID plays out, we know that people are impacted differentially and that plays out in the workforce. You know, Dr. Bowden, one of the things that I was thinking about, when you talk about someone just being fatigued all the time, just being very tired all the time, being exhausted, having a brain fog. You know, as I think about this, I I would be very discouraged, um, maybe depressed if I had long COVID. Do, Do we see that? In other words, do we see long COVID have this effect on people where they become depressed? And, and, you know, I'm just wondering, what's the mental health impact on people where they suffer from long COVID? Because to me, it seems very discouraging. What are your thoughts on that? There is a big overlap between long COVID and mental health symptoms. And this is a huge area of interest for a couple of reasons. One, we think that long COVID may exacerbate underlying mental health symptoms, but also has the potential to create new ones, such as depression and anxiety. And it's important that we tease that apart from actually being attributed to long COVID versus something else. Patients experience a lot of stigma with long COVID. And one thing that patients hear time and time again is that they feel like they are being told that they're just anxious. They're anxious about the pandemic. They're anxious about COVID when it really is long COVID. 
and there appears to be, as we learn more about long COVID, that it, long COVID actually causes mental health symptoms. And so it will be important to address that and, and get people proper treatment and understanding that it's not just pandemic-related anxiety, depression, isolation. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bodwin, for that. And I want to ask you a follow-up question to that. I think this is something I struggle with. I just want to put that out there. But I think as you're mentioning, a lot of people have fatigue. A lot of people may have uh, some depression, anxiety. And these are common uh, diseases, right, that we see in the population unrelated to COVID. So you mentioned sort of this persistence of symptoms after COVID. But one thing that I've struggled with, and I would love your thoughts on it, is when you see someone come in with fatigue, even if they have COVID, also understanding, right, that like most people have had COVID at this point, how do you determine if this is like you know, fatigue, you know, I'm tired all the time, right? You know, from working 80 hours a week, you know, how do you tell if it's fatigue due to something else versus fatigue due to long COVID or depression, anxiety, if it's unrelated, you know, as a clinician, how do you think through that? This is the crux of the issue around long COVID, right? There's no specific test that can be done to tell somebody that they have long COVID. Can't just do a CAT scan or a blood test. And so therefore, it's really important that patients have a relationship with a provider and see their primary care doctor, somebody that knows them, to tease out whether or not this is long COVID or something else going on. A key to the long COVID diagnosis is excluding other possible causes of the symptoms, whether it be fatigue or shortness of breath or this brain fog, and make you know making sure that something else isn't going on. And um, following a COVID diagnosis. So you have to have had an acute COVID infection in order to develop long COVID. So the timing is important, but then understanding the constellation of symptoms and it's piecing together a puzzle that's best done with a doctor that knows the person. You know, you remind me, Dr. Bodwin, you know, long COVID is a diagnosis of exclusion. Like you said, you need to rule out everything else. In other words, you know, if you're a patient and you've had COVID, you know, what you really want your doctor to do is just be thoughtful and start thinking about, well, what else could this be? And it's interesting, like so much of what I do in my doctor brain when I'm seeing my patients is I'm often thinking about what else could this be? You know, that's called our differential diagnosis. Whenever I see any patient for any reason, I'm always wondering, like, what are the possibilities before I jump to a conclusion and a diagnosis? But, you know, I mentioned I'm a pediatrician when I'm not doing this. And I'm just curious, like, are adolescents developing long COVID? Children, adolescents are probably impacted by long COVID, but to a lesser degree than adults. When we're thinking about children, and there are long COVID clinics for kids, so we know that some kids are being impacted. And when we think about the impact on children and adolescents in particular, we're thinking about impact on school, sports, other activities. So again, less common, but still there and still a concern. And so something that pediatricians and parents should be in tune to if they have a child that's just not returning to normal activities following a COVID infection. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I was—I'll admit uh, the uh, the Chan household uh, lasted uh, two years, and then my son got COVID uh, ten at the time. Uh, this was a couple months ago, and uh, you know, it it knocked him out. Right, he's ten, otherwise healthy, has a touch though of asthma. So I was really nervous throughout the pandemic, frankly. Uh, but I was really nervous that it would worsen it. Luckily, he did okay. But he was tired for like a week or two. And, uh, you know, I in the back of my mind, I was worried about long COVID. Of course, you know, know about this. Uh, but he is doing fine. But I, I do think that we may see, and as the data develops, and as you have mentioned, this is just one of those areas that we're still learning a lot about. This is one of those areas that, um, especially in COVID, that we just don't know enough about yet. I'm reminded that the pandemic is only over a little bit over two years old. So we don't have that 
follow-up time that we really need to look at things and longer-term outcomes like long COVID. Let me ask you this. Speaking of that, and as you know, speaking as a developing situation here, uh, all, all these variants that are coming out—is there any data, or do we know that you know does one variant lead to is more likely to lead to long COVID, or does it depend on you know you touched on Paxlovid and some of the other treatments? What about these emerging variants? though? is there any data to suggest that you know the Omicron variant, for example, or this new BA four or five may be more likely to lead to long COVID? Any data for anything? There is some data coming out that suggests that the early variants were probably more likely to cause long COVID, but the big unknown here is that there's there's a lot more COVID going around now. So even if Omicron and the newer variants are less likely to cause long COVID, they they have caused more COVID infections, both because of how contagious they are, but because of how open and quote unquote back to normal our society is. So the burden of long COVID is I think still going to be around. It's just different. And we don't know about severity and all these other things. If you even take Omicron, for example, in the last surge that we had in the winter, we're just at the point right now where we're starting to understand long COVID effects of things that happened in the winter. And so these new variants that we're in the middle of now, we'll learn about in the summer and the fall. The work around long COVID is going to continue and evolve. And that's one place where it's just unknown. And as you mentioned, vaccination, Paxlovid, these other things are also in the mix. And so it's important that we tease out effects of the variants, effects of vaccination, so that we can understand what works and what doesn't work and what is causing long COVID and what isn't. We're talking to Dr. Francesca Bodwin about long COVID. And and Dr. Bodwin is not just an emergency department physician. Uh, You're a researcher at Brown. What are some of the challenges of researching long COVID? Can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing right now at Brown? I am currently the director of the Long COVID Initiative at Brown, and that is work that's funded by the Hassenfeld Family Initiative to address gaps in knowledge around long COVID, but also to combat misinformation around long COVID and put forth best practices. Now, when I say best practices, I say that lightly because we're still learning what best practices are, and so that's part of what the Long COVID Initiative is trying to do. Some of our work uses um, existing electronic health records and medical claims data, meaning claims from insurance, medical visits, medications. And we're trying to understand and observe what has ha- what happens to people over time in these big data sets to understand about long COVID, how, how much healthcare do people utilize, which healthcare appears to be effective? Does vaccination work? Do these other, other things work? And then a key piece where the long COVID initiative is coming into play is to address the social and economic impacts of long COVID as well as health disparities, gaps that we feel that we can fill um, outside of some of these big initiatives coming out of the government, like the Recover Initiative from the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Bowden, let me ask you this on the research side. We haven't asked this yet, but the question is, what causes long COVID? Of course, you can say, of course, COVID causes long COVID, but there's been two hypotheses out there that I'm aware of. Please feel free to expand. One is um, and we see this in some other infections, right? That there's like a, a post-infectious inflammation process, right? Which means that, you know, you get infected for sure, then the virus clears, but your body is still sort of irritated, inflamed, and it's causing uh, this reaction that's leading to all these symptoms and that persists uh, over time. And then the other thing too that I've seen is that uh, in people with long COVID, they have isolated actually live virus. So there's also the hypothesis out there the people may actually have persistent infection leading to long COVID. 
Those are the two that I've heard of. Are you aware of anything else? And what are your thoughts in general on what's most likely causing long COVID? That's the question of the day, probably. There are other theories going around as well. I've read work about reactivation of the Epstein-Barr virus. So this is the virus that causes mononucleosis or mono as it's frequently called. We've all been exposed. Most of us have been exposed to mono at some times in our, in our lives. And that there, that virus largely is thought to like hang around and lie dormant for a number of years in some ways, like the chickenpox virus that we know can do the same thing and later cause shingles or, or zoster. And so there are theories going around that, you know, is this Epstein-Barr monovirus hanging around dormant and can it become reactivated by a COVID infection? That's one theory. I've even read theories about the gut microbi- uh, microbiome. So the bacteria in our intestines and that playing a role in the development of long COVID infection. I think at the end of the day that we might find out that long COVID has become an umbrella term for multiple different things that are going on. And we may learn that there are actually different um, diseases within long COVID such that some people have an autoimmune condition where somebody's immune system is actually um, attacking their body to be kind of basic about what's happening. But I think that that is, that is a real possibility versus, you know, a persistent viral infection. And as we learn that, then the treatments can be geared to the underlying cause because the treatment for an immune condition is going to be very different from a persistent viral infection versus reactivation of the Epstein-Barr virus, if that plays out. You know, Dr. Bodwin, one of the things that's been interesting throughout the entire pandemic is just a lot of information, but quite frankly, a lot of misinformation. And there's also been some disinformation. I'm just going to ask, is long COVID any different? Like, in other words, has there been some misinformation about long COVID? And, and you know, it's funny. I often sometimes use the word stigma. It's interesting. I don't really like the word stigma. I actually like the word discrimination better because I think that's what it is. But I, I wonder about long COVID. Where have we landed with that? Is there disinformation and discrimination about long COVID? I think there's disinformation across all aspects of healthcare. And I would say there's probably less conspiracy theories around long COVID per se, but we still have a lack of information and getting information into the hands of people who need it. And that involves clinicians, you know, healthcare providers, patients themselves, caregivers. And I do think there is discrimination and the potential for discrimination around long COVID because the symptoms are vague, they're heterogeneous, meaning lots of different symptoms that affect people in different ways. And so it's not, you know, clear always to healthcare providers that long COVID is what is causing somebody's symptoms. We're very good at diagnosing obvious things. Like someone's coming in with a very obvious heart attack on an EKG. We know what it is. We have an algorithm to treat it. And that person is going to get, I think, you know, the best, you know, possible care and treatment that we have. When it comes to long COVID, we don't even know how to diagnose it, let alone treat it. And so when things are lend themselves to subjectivity, that is where bias and discrimination can enter. And so I, long COVID is no different than other chronic diseases in that way. Dr. Bodwin, I know that our time is winding down here. There may be some patients, some people uh, with long COVID listening to this very podcast. Do you have any words of hope uh, from a research end, from a future uh, optimistic end? Uh, what what would you tell folks who may be struggling with long COVID uh, who are listening? 
we are seeing that people do get better from long COVID. So this does not have to be, I think, a lifelong diagnosis. Some people have struggled for a long time and we have met people that have had long COVID now for you know, more than a year since the start of the pandemic. But I do think what we're seeing is that the majority of people do get better. And we're going to get better at treating this and we're going to get better at offering interventions to help people with long COVID. If anybody that thinks that they might be experiencing long COVID or long COVID symptoms is listening, I would encourage you to get in touch with your primary care doctor and work closely with them to make sure that this really is the right diagnosis, that something else isn't going on. And once the diagnosis of long COVID is established, getting the proper treatment, which really is geared toward the type of symptoms that somebody is having at this point in time. We've had a lovely conversation today with Dr. Francesca Bodwin about long COVID. And, and it's interesting, you know, one of the things I want to end on Dr. Bodwin is, you know, I, I think I said earlier, it can be discouraging to be a patient with this disease that quite frankly, isn't easily diagnosed, makes you depressed, makes you tired. That can be discouraging. You know, one of the things that makes me encouraged though is where science has brought us so far. You know, science has really brought us through the pandemic. And I'm excited about where science is going. Thank you so much for the work you're doing uh, to better understand long COVID, not only how can we diagnose it, how can we understand it, how can we treat it, and how can we talk about long COVID like it's a thing of the past is something I look forward to someday. One of our traditions here at Public Health Out Loud is to have the final word with Dr. Chan. Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today? Thank you, Dr. McDonald, and thank you very much, Dr. Bodwin, again for joining us. Thank you for all your work. I will also add on that there's actually a long COVID uh, clinic uh, in the state of Rhode Island run by uh, some of my ID colleagues, Dr. Johnson, uh, Dr. Garland uh, over at Lifespan. So if you need to uh, see them specifically for long COVID, uh, please do look them up and they would be thrilled to see you. And in closing, I do want to leave uh, folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is, a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. The only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.